Hello and welcome to another Hometown Daily News show. I am Mayor Watt and today is February 21st, 2023. It is season two, episode 52. It's rain and fish. What the f- Tonight's episode is going to cover 11 articles, starting with a meteor that explodes over apparently seven states. A uh, wedding boom that's maybe going bust. AT&T wants to shed its cybersecurity division. Google could face a tidal wave of legal threats. FedEx warns drivers not to throw packages and, and or make obscene or offensive markings on them. AKA, well, I can't even say it because we're not deep enough into the uh, show. Um, Reddit is being asked to identify those who discussed piracy. I think it's absurd. Uh, what do you think of a nature repair market? Not sure what that even really means at this point. How about Japanese officials investigate mysterious sphere that's washed up on a beach? PSVR2 launch day, and now there's 40 titles according to this uh, website. We'll talk about it shortly. A company called Ricket, or at this point might be Ricket, recalls baby formula. This is something we've been seeing happen. That kind of, it's really bad. It's, it's really bad. And fish keep falling from the sky onto the same town and experts aren't sure why. Let's get into the shoe. Did that, that looked weird. Something looked weird. Um, hmm. That's okay. I'll deal. I'll, I'll take a little bit of copium and, and, and deal with it. I think something got messed up with our graphic, but that's okay. Um, and I, what, what, what is that? What, what, do you see that? Okay. I don't know what's happening. I don't um, know what you're looking at. <laughs> Okay, never mind. We're we'll just I don't know what's going on, but that's okay. This is how the sausage is made, folks. And this is how I lose people real quick. Let's get right into oh, you want to say hi to everybody? Good evening, hometown citizens. Uh, that's the AI from on high. Visualizer is going quite well while everything else is burning down around us. Uh, I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. It's a news aggregation site, gathers up a bunch of news, throws it into six categories, and then 50 channels underneath it, all of which I want to bring to hometown. If you are interested in hosting or co-hosting, all you have to do is get in touch with the mayor. It's really easy. Just send an email to mayor at hometown.com. And maybe we can get you on board and you can take this spot for a little bit, once a week, one hour once a week. Not that big of a deal. Now it's all about mm, how interesting you are and how interested you are in a topic. Got 50 of them right out of the gate. can even change them if you're interested. Get in touch with me, the mayor of hometown. Ah, that was all one breath. Yeah. Let's get into the articles. It's 
funnier, folks, when you realize that the artificial intelligence that monitors the goings on in hometown um, is uh, sending me um, status messages, but is completely silent, even though we have a vocalizer and a visualizer so that we have the ability to communicate over the never mind. So some things are better without a response. A picture is worth a thousand words. Yes. Um, so a meteor uh, fireball explodes over seven U.S. states in a green pulsing ball of light. I thought that it was maybe a Chinese space laser, but maybe not. Is that what you thought, too? I definitely went there. I mean, anytime you see green and light recently, it's got to be lasers. That's true. Um, Chinese space lasers. And later on, we're going to see, um, uh, well, we haven't been able to figure out yet if it's a uh, Chinese space ball or a Japanese ocean ball. We don't know yet. But anyway, a spectacularly bright meteor soaring across the sky on Sunday night was caught on cameras across the northern U.S. and Canada. Every time you read a little bit deeper into an article, you find out a little bit more. Because the title says Meteor Fireball. First off, that's really clunky, but hey, I'm not their editor. Uh, Meteor Fireball explodes over seven U.S. states, but then in the article it says northern U.S. and Canada. Guess you can't right, put so that is it there. seven states plus Canada, or I don't know. Yeah, not sure either. Jess Thompson over at Newsweek put this together. Before I get too deep into this, though, I'm going to throw this over into the chat so those of you who are over in the chat can follow that link by the way you can go over to hometown.showbot.tv vote for your articles they are there already um, today's episode is probably going to go up um, immediately after over on youtube and maybe and it depends on how fast processing is done but i'll try to get it into the podcast early um, I, I know that some people like to get it earlier than later and i've been posting them a little bit late so this is my comeuppance i'm gonna try and get it out faster anyway back to the newsweek article and jess thompson is the author of this there's a video um, i haven't muted so i won't get in too much trouble and here's wow i want to believe wait what that was a weird recording. That's pretty those cool. Look, those look like doorbell cam recordings or something. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Aliens are landing. They're inflating their balloons and then we're going to blow them up. So again, this is over in uh, newsweek.com. So definitely, uh, swing on by you can follow the link it goes through hometown you, then you uh, take a left and you go over to newsweek or a right i'm not sure you'll see it when you get into hometown um, reports of the fireball came from 197 residents across illinois indiana michigan new york ohio pennsylvania wisconsin ontario okay that's not a state well no. not a u.s state <laughs> but there are seven states plus ontario i counted Wait, Wisconsin isn't a state? 
Ah, yes, it is. <laughs> no. That's just one of the lies that academia has sent into my brain. Videos taken across the region show the fireball falling through the sky, flaring brightly before fading into darkness, which is essentially my career. <laughs> it's too easy. It's just too easy. Uh, there's a quote here that's really neat. My eight-year-old son saw, uh, also saw it, uh, and it was so bizarre it scared him, wrote one observer in Indiana on the American Meteor Society website. It's sad that they were scared by it, but hopefully they recovered quickly, and, and uh, the parental unit or whoever is taking care of this eight-year-old says, this happens periodically, and you get to see it sometimes. It's really neat. And sometimes it comes crashing down into your own backyard and then you have a meteor. You actually have a meteor. You can, you can actually hold it and, and it's from space. It's pretty neat. I would love to have one, but it has not come to pass. Another quote is it was awesome. And now I have so many questions. My husband thought he smelled ozone a few minutes after seeing it, but I didn't smell anything wrote another in Ontario, Canada, that might be just mental, um, not mental in the bad way, like mental. It's just a figment of your imagination. Um, because unless you're right darn close to it, you're not going to smell anything except maybe, I don't know, get a gecko. Like, if and you're riding the meteor, maybe you could smell it. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, Maybe the gecko can, from yesterday's article, could take a sniff and decide, okay, yeah, that's not me, and that's not you. That must be the meteor. Anyway, it says uh, usually only around 5% of the original meteoroid makes it to the Earth's surface, with the rest being vaporized during the dramatic descent Meteors around the size of a softball can result in fireballs so bright that they are briefly as luminous as the full moon in the night sky. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So if you find it, um, hey, let somebody let us know over here in hometown. That would be really cool. Who knows where it actually landed? But the denizens of the Internet are pretty... Uh, pretty capable bunch they might be able to find it simply by you know locating where this is and calculating its angle of descent and perhaps they can locate in a reasonable amount of space where it might be and and then people go out there with their metal detectors and scope this bad boy out it's probably worth thousands of dollars what do you think of this I think it's really cool, and I think most people don't get to see something like this, so I think it's pretty spectacular if you happen to be right there when it happened. Yep, pretty cool stuff. So, um, eyes to the skies, folks. You can actually get apps, by the way, uh, and it allows you to track you know, the heavenly bodies, no matter where they are in your orientation on the Earth, right? So... Even if it's on the other side of the earth, all you have to do is point your device, phone, iPad. Um, if it's an Android device, there's Android equivalents of the same thing for iOS, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you just angle it down and you can actually see where um, some things are, not necessarily a meteor. Uh, 
only because it's pretty spontaneous and you just don't really know where they're coming from and then they show up. But some things like the Leonids, we pass through them periodically. And so those are actually tracked. You can actually see them um, coming or going depending on where we are. Pretty neat stuff out there, folks. Let's move on to the next article. This next one is over in the uh, Hatch Ideas channel and it's titled the wedding boom is winding down but inflation is still driving up the cost to say i do and i kind of got thumped earlier today when i said so run but uh that's not part of the article the average cost of a 2023 wedding is expected to be twenty nine thousand dollars as vendors say inflation is forcing them to raise their prices according to data from zola this is an article over at CNBC. Gabrielle Fon Rouge. Man, that, if anybody's going to be writing about this topic, that that is like a very big name, you know? Like, I just picture somebody just grace and poise. Right, I was thinking that would be a great name for, say, a wedding planner or something. I know it's a journalist, but... <laughs> Yeah, just a great name. Uh, the average cost of a wedding in 2023 is expected to be $29,000. That's up from $28,000. So a massive jump. No, it's a, what, a, uh, okay. This isn't really, yeah, I guess it's newsworthy. A thousand dollar increase from 28 to 29 doesn't seem to be that much considering what else is going on around the world. Um, well, the 2022 the price of eggs, <laughs> I'm thinking the wedding looks kind of cheap. <laughs> exactly. The, you know, what's the, in the center of the tables this year, right? It's going to be a nest with a chicken. People are going to be taking it home. While the, uh, 2022 wedding boom is now winding down. A survey of vendors found 77% are raising their prices this year because of inflation. I bet you if you ask, it's going to always, when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you end up looking at gas prices. I, I know that I harp on this often enough, but it isn't because of federal taxes either. It's states and it is the providers of gas. It's the gas and oil companies that are driving all of this up. Uh, catering and other services are labor intensive and are seeing stiff increases according to one wedding planner. Yeah, people got to eat. So let's see here. In 2019, before the COVID pandemic created a congested wedding market, that number was closer to $24,700. Now that is the price difference that I'm looking for pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Jumping from $24,700 to $29,000 is a significant bump. I mean, it's what, 20%? Um, in a January survey of about 300 wedding vendors, 83% reported, reported the cost to run their business will increase in 2023. And 26% reported the cost of goods have gone up from, oh, and 17 have said that couples have smaller budgets for services. Yeah, because lettuce and eggs and meat and uh, rent and or mortgage, uh, getting a car loan, um, saving up so that your kid can go to a private school because who knows what's going to happen with public education in the future. Oh, I'm spiraling. Save me. Um, <laughs> 
More than 77% of vendors surveyed said that they're going to raise their rates. I think it's a bummer. Um, but it is arguably once in a lifetime. So if there's going to be something you're going to splurge on, figure it out with the other person and make sure that it's important enough to both of you to actually invest a car's worth of ownership. Right. I mean, $30,000 is a car for crying out loud. Um, or a uh, good down payment on a house. Um, it's a lot of money. $30,000 is a lot of money and you're about to spend it on a day and not every uh, significant other, you know, fiance or fian what? my brain just shut down. Are e each person the fiance? Um, yes. So the, uh, your significant other may not care for a big day, but parents might lean into you if you say, well, you know what? We're going to run away. Um, you might get your butt kicked on the way out, but you can still be the adults and, and choose your fate. Um, but 30 grand, tell everybody, hey, you know what I'd rather have? 30 grand so I can sock it away in some stocks. Um, and I'll promote, don't. Don't get into um, plastics and um, petroleum product stocks. It's, they're doing really horrible uh, stuff to the ecosystem. So, okay. So uh, couples held more than 2.6 million weddings in the U S last year, according to Emily Forrest, Zola's director of communication. Uh, that number is coming down in 2023 as backlogs related to the COVID pandemic start to clear. So everybody was kicking the can down the road and jam packing and jam, jam, jamming up the whole flow of, um, you run in, you say, uh, am I really going to do this? Uh, yeah, I'll say, yeah. And then you walk out, um, and forever look back over your shoulder. Like, did I just say yes? Did I just say? Yeah. Oh, I said yes. <laughs> and yes, the AI is sending looks uh, <laughs> to Mayor Watt. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm going to move on. The next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel, and it's AT&T seeks to shed a cybersecurity division. Uh, according to uh, sources that are speaking to Reuters, AT&T Incorporated, the second biggest U.S. wireless carrier, is exploring a sale of its cybersecurity division, potentially undoing its acquisition that it completed just five years ago. And look, you know, just like the those marriages, this one splitting up just five years after when a mega corporation and a cybersecurity division meet, they sometimes uh, fall in love forever. And sometimes, I'm sorry, sometimes they just part ways and um, I can't keep going. Well, that's exactly what the cybersecurity division said. So the sale of the cybersecurity business would add to a string of divestments AT&T has turned to in order to pay down debt following its $108.7 billion acquisition of Time Warner Incorporated in 2018, a deal it has since also unwound. In the last two years, AT&T sold a 30% stake in its 
uh, TV unit, Direct TV, to private equity firm TPG for $1.8 billion and received $40.8, uh, sorry, $40.4 billion in cash by spinning off and merging with or its uh, Warner Media business with Discovery Communications to form Warner Brothers Discovery Incorporated. So if you uh, are uh, playing bingo, not only has your bingo cards set themselves on fire, uh, but they're calling their AT&T cybersecurity division weeping that all of this is taking place. Nobody knows what's happening with Warner Brothers Discovery Incorporated. DirecTV is always increasing. It's pretty much every year it's going up five bucks. Um, the, the bill, even us early adopters who, uh, went through hell. Some of us went through hell to get into the internet based direct TV instead of the satellite, because I'll be honest, folks, satellite just kind of sucks. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good for its intended purpose, which is not sustained long-term communication during a storm. How about that? Um, but it sucks during most times just not high speed enough at any rate who knows what is going to happen now i think that at&t needs to just balkanize itself and focus on what it is good at and let the little subunits focus on what it's good at and stop trying to consolidate everything as if one company can do every damn thing it's just not possible there are strategic um areas that people are organizations are good at uh, and not everybody not every company is good at uh, capturing some segment and maximizing its strategic advantage i don't think at&t is good at this so i think at&t should just stick with telecommunications and now we lost at&t and also Warner Brothers, uh, Discovery Inc., DirecTV, TPG, <laughs> right? Um, Warner uh, Media, yeah. yes, <laughs> uh, Barclays because they're working with Barclays. We can go down the list, folks. Um, I'm pretty oh. much Alien Vault also, which is the cybersecurity business. Okay, uh, so I quit. And I'll see you later. Bye. Just kidding. I'm here forever, folks. So there's not really much to say other than the fact that this is the latest thing. Cybersecurity division is um, being broken off and uh, the relationship just didn't really, um, you know, succeed. That's just what happens. Sometimes when a mega corporation and a cybersecurity company meet, they part ways rather quickly. Let's move on to the next article. Uh, I'm not sure if this is what people want or not at this point, but I'm doing it anyway. So this next article is in the Daily News show. Google could face tidal wave of legal threats after Supreme Court ruling. Uh, this is where things start impacting all of us who are consuming uh, information and posting things on social media. 
and uh, safe harbor provisions and law and the executive suite and uh, administrators and services that are being provided via the internet and all kinds of things are about to get, well, let's just say we are on the precipice and we are peeing off into a ravine and we're about to get the biggest gust of wind and the splashback is going to be horrible because the Supreme Court, this Supreme Court, is about to make a ruling on, well, can services be culpable for their algorithms? Google could face tidal wave of legal threats after Supreme Court ruling. Thomas Kika over at Newsweek.com put this article together. And it says uh, a forthcoming decision from the U.S. Supreme Court could have massive ramifications for legal liabilities regarding the Internet, possibly resulting in a wave of legal threats against companies like Google, not just Google. As of Tuesday, the court is now hearing oral arguments in the case of Gonzalez v. Google, the family of Nohemi, I guess, Naomi, I'm not sure how to pronounce their name, Gonzalez is suing YouTube, the massively popular video sharing site and subsidiary of Google after the 23-year-old college student was gunned down by ISIS-affiliated gunmen in a Paris restaurant in late 2015. And the family has argued that YouTube's recommendation algorithm servicing I, uh, and, I guess, serving ISIS content effectively acted as a recruitment tool for the terrorist group violating U.S. law. Um. I think that I have a hard time with this because it is very subjective. You have to already be prone to the radicalization of um, messaging like ISIS content. Um, so I don't know if this, obviously it's going before the Supreme Court, but there might be an agenda in doing so because there are people in positions of authority that are trying to hobble online communication because you can get a message out really fast when you have the ability to strike up a camera. Oh, look what I'm doing and talking uh, to people uh, and then pushing it over to YouTube and then pushing it over to a podcast and streaming it here on Twitch, I can reach a large audience. Now my audience isn't particularly massive, but there are people that command a hundred thousand people to show up to watch them play games. Um, likewise, there are wing nuts out there that are looking for content to um, kind of uh, what do you want to say? Prime their pump, um, give them a little endorphin rush because they are watching some hate filled screed about this or that, you know, and in this case it's a terrorist organization, but that person was already primed to act. Um, it, I, I think it'll be tough without the agenda in place. Well, SCOTUS's decision in the case would impact the fate of Section 230, a provision in U.S. law passed in 1996 that protects Internet platforms from legal culpability related to the content that individuals share on them. If Section 230 gets overturned, 
no content can get posted anywhere for fear of liability for something as level-headed as me making the statement that, no, I don't think that it should be overturned. And because somebody has an agenda and doesn't like that statement, suddenly I'm the bad guy and pitchforks and torches and uh, aluminum hats, you know, tinfoil hats uh, pop up and uh, people start vilifying me because I don't necessarily agree with it. I think individuals should be held accountable for the stuff that they provide, but society is what does that. The reason why anybody can post anything anywhere and it still gets an audience, even though it's hate based is because we as a society have emboldened people to promote and speak hate filled screeds about either LGBTQ or another race, uh, you know, just the color of somebody's skin. You don't even know where they from, where they're from, who they are, what they love, what they don't love, you know, what they do for a living, that how much of an asset they are to society, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if this were to get overturned, anything can become charged politically and then weaponized against the person who could be talking from a moderate position, not extremist in any way, but simply because somebody hates what that message is. Suddenly litigation abound, not just Google, because Google will pass that on. This will affect all major internet platforms, all social media. I mean, I'm not trying to overstate this, but this decision could drastically change the way we operate online. So the uh, attorney for the Electronic Frontier Foundation wrote, if the Supreme Court limits Section 230 immunity based on how online platforms display or prioritize user-generated content, that would effectively eviscerate the immunity altogether. To mitigate this new legal exposure, platforms would take drastic steps to censor user speech or alter the services they provide to users. Um, this uh, attorney named Sophia Cope. Uh, a senior attorney for the Electronic Frontier Foundation wrote in a statement to Newsweek. So I won't continue reading this all verbatim. Um, I think it's important for you from your perspective to go and read the material yourself um, and then come and talk here in hometown about it. And we do this every day, 9 p.m. Eastern uh, for about an hour, but it's also over on YouTube. You can interact there. It's a podcast. You can interact there. You can go to hometown.com, become a citizen and uh, interact there as well. There's also a discord. Um, that is a link as well from hometown, um, and the show notes and, 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 uh, try to be everywhere and you can get the podcast anywhere, uh, pretty much anywhere. If you know of a place where you can't get it, let me know. And I'll make sure that it starts getting presented there as well. And, uh, others continue on, uh, Gen Google general counsel says that it goes beyond just Google it really does impact the notion of American innovation, but I don't think that it should be limited to American innovation. Although it's an American based law, anyone who comes to the United States and does business, 
Anyone who does business within the United States and has a presence will be bound by this. If you have a server in the United States and you're from another country, you're bound by U.S. law. Um, just like we have to abide by Chinese law when we provide a service into China, if we want to do business there, we have to have a domestic presence there. We have to have a strategic partnership with a company that basically sponsors the business unless we have enough capital to spin up there and make a presence. Servers, data has to be stored there if you rise to the level where you end up on the CCP's uh, radar. And you have to do the same thing in other countries, um, like uh, trying to spin up a business in Italy. You have to actually have a presence there. Um, you can't just by proxy say that you're doing business there um, and actually form a physical presence. So we have these limits and then the laws of that country apply to that business presence and by proxy, the domestic business. My point is, this is not limited to just American innovation. It will hobble anybody wanting to take advantage of the opportunities in the United States and thus bring foreign investment into the country, um, which is substantial because if their investment is hobbled by some litigation because they ran afoul of section 230 now that the Supreme court, and I would not put it past the Supreme court to flip this because they do want to, I think they want to suppress speech in myriad way. Now speech in the right way, that's okay, but it's a different way than social media wants to embrace public speech. We won't get into that. Otherwise it'll turn into a three hour show, but trying to make it news that is relevant um, and, and current um, and without the noise. So let's keep on hustling through this, unless you want to add something to this uh, beyond what you've already said. No, I don't have anything else to add. Right on. Okay. So this next article is in the daily news show and it's titled FedEx warns drivers not to throw packages or make obscene or offensive markings <laughs> on them. Uh, FedEx warned delivery contractors Monday not to throw packages, Insider has learned. Um, and it's from Business Insider where this is sourced from. Uh, the memo also warned against offensive markings on packages and indecent public exposure. Uh, ominously precise verbiage right like you george quit exposing yourself on the ring cameras we know that you know that there's a ring camera stop telling us it was by accident your belt came undone we know you're lying anyway fedex sent the message following feedback from customers and quote some specific and egregious actions FedEx warned drivers not to throw packages. Um, and it says obscene and offensive markings. So I suspect that people have been writing the old dick butt meme back in the day. And uh, for those of you who are curious about it, just, just Google it. It's fine. Just go ahead and Google it. Emma Cosgrove over at Business Insider put this together. 
This looks like a New York FedEx delivery. I cannot imagine delivering in, in New York. I mean, that just, they need to just do air delivery and tell people a delivery is coming, open, open a window and they'll just drop it in. <laughs> that might be a better method. I cannot imagine trying to get this through Manhattan or something. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see if they actually give an example of any of these egregious markings. I'm really curious about that. I don't know why that seems to be titillating to me, but um, I, I want to hear about some of these um, deliveries. Complaints about drivers tossing packages on doorsteps are fairly common on social media. I hate to break it to people, but that's what padding in your packaging is for. How about throwing things into the driveway instead of on the porch? <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that I've always I I actually watched one person back into uh, the driveway in hometown and just kind of push the box out and then drove away. Um, I'm okay. Well, good enough. Good enough. I, I understand that the packaging is what's supposed to protect the asset inside. So <coughs> let me tell you. Uh, they were really upset because um, they airmailed themselves to hometown. So that last bump off of the back of the truck was really bad. Anyway, especially since doorbell security cameras have encouraged people to watch their deliveries being made. Yeah, Marwat does that. Um, package tossing isn't generally approved behavior by most delivery providers unless delivery personnel are concerned about their own safety due to an uncontrolled dog. Uh, this, by the way, is one of the new uh, Summer Olympics that are coming <laughs> in, in 2024. I'd like an audio uh, rendition of this. Uh, package tossing? Yes. So the way that it works is like the shot put, but... It, you have to dress up in FedEx or UPS delivery garb. And then you have to do it with a, a cranky demeanor because you're forced to walk up a driveway. You have to kind of, uh, and then you go, huh. and uh, just like the shot put or something. Just, just like the shot put, but you're not going for distance so much as you're trying to get it on to a four by a four foot by four foot raised concrete pad. Um, and then there's different events. So there's the, there's the dry heave. And, <laughs> and then there's the soaked toss where you're drenched <laughs> in the rain. Um, and then there's a parkour version of it really, but it, you're actually running away from a dog and you have to still deliver the package. <laughs> so it says it's easy to think these incidents won't happen but they do and they tarnish the fedex brand and put business uh, for service providers at risk all right all right oh hometown recently had a delivery where hometown residents were told to secure their pets for the delivery oh right right um that one was interesting. Yeah. And then a follow-up notice saying it was delivered. So, and in both times, um, I know that the resident of hometown believed that it was a fishing attempt. 
I don't know. Maybe um, security is a little too tight in hometown. Let's let's move on to the next article before we get in too much trouble. Before Marwat exposes himself, and you don't want Marwat exposing himself. So this next article is in the Word in Law. All, you'll see these little logos now. Um, these are actually temporary. I will replace them um, as soon as we get some artists working on the logos for the groups. Um, the shows are actually going to have individual artwork. Reddit should have to identify users who discussed piracy. Film studios tell court. Film studios that file the copyright infringement lawsuit against a cable internet provider are trying to force Reddit to identify users who posted comments about piracy. The lawsuit was filed in 2021 against cable company RCN in the U.S. District Court in New Jersey by Bodyguard Productions, Millennium Media, and other companies over downloads of 34 movies such as Hellboy, uh, Rambo 5, Last Blood, the musical, it's not a musical, uh, Tesla and the Hitman's bodyguard in an attempt to prove that RCN turned a blind eye to users downloading copyright movies. So this goes back to what we just got done talking about. Let me, I need to do something real quick. Let me copy that into the uh, chat. So there you go. Um, this is what we were just talking about right here. Um, let me back up just a little bit. What they are referring to and what this is referring to is the fate of Section 230. These people are just having a conversation. They may may have amplified the uh, copyright violation by direct linking. This has been kind of a standard thing um, to prosecute under because linking to the pirated material is tantamount to saying, uh, here, uh, I'm endorsing the piracy, I'm facilitating the piracy, um, and you can actually be litigated uh, against regarding that, just the linking. Uh, John Brodkin is the author of this over at ArsTechnica.com, and it says, Plaintiffs say Reddit posts from up to 13 years ago show ISP ignored movie piracy. Um, but I, I have a problem with this. Fine, charge the people if you can prove that they were the reason, not, not the reason, but they are the ones that committed the, the crime. If they amplified it, that's one thing. Um, but... <sighs> I don't know. I have a problem with just posting a link and ending up in jail because you posted a link um, over something that, and and I'm not like this, right? I think that piracy is bad. I don't think that if you like something enough that you're going to put forth the effort to download a movie, then pay for it, right? Um, but you don't get an adequate sample of a movie to see if you like it to the point where it's worth either a $3 rental or a $30 purchase. So how do you actually get to find out if you like this movie or not? I think that there needs to be a more um, vigorous sample of the movie, or I don't know, um, let people watch the movie and pay for it because I've, 
paid for movies. And I'm like, oh, I regret the hell out of owning this. There's a couple in my library where I'm sitting there going, I would rather delete my entire library than have to scroll past this from time to time. Um, and, and you know what? I've actually like blocked it from my memory. The one that's really, really horrible. Um, but anyway, that's still in my library. But somebody links to something on a site and suddenly... A bunch of people are talking about it and thus they're all culpable. I don't know if that's the true context of this, uh, but it says plaintiffs specifically asked Reddit for IP address registration and logs from 1-1-2016 to present name and email address and other account registration information for nine users. So they want the full logs. So they're going to find additional people that maybe they can, you know, on the tertiary edge of this, uh, maybe go after additional people. Reddit's response provided at least some information about one user, but no information on any of the other eight. According to the film studios, Reddit argued that the requests for identifying information associated with the additional eight accounts are more in the nature of a phishing expedition and are neither relevant nor permissible under the First Amendment. So I don't think the First Amendment protects you from committing a crime. Uh, you are still held responsible for, like, you can, <laughs> and, and first off, I don't think the First Amendment applies at all, but um, I don't think that the other eight should be held accountable unless there is something that's directly linking a human being um, to information that violated uh, copyright um, to the point where, sending an email to them, like give them a chance to remove the links. Um, because you really should in, in all of these cases where something is used without permission, it may be that they're just young and, and they don't know about it. Um, or it's a, a temporary use and they're not distributing it for profit. But I'm not normally like that. I, I would sit there and, and say, well, what you really need to do is just take down the links, right? Terminate the accounts, take down the links. That's it, right? Nobody needs to go to jail. Um, but when you look at the other side, they're not paying for something. They're consuming it. That stuff adds up. If 100,000 people download you know, a totality of these things, and they're 20 bucks a piece, you know, you're looking at $2 million like that. So I don't know. Uh, it's a significant concern. Um, and I certainly don't want anybody to be pirating movies, music, books, etc. cetera. Um, so we'll see what happens with this. Uh, the film companies last week filed a motion to compel Reddit to respond to the subpoena in U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California. Uh, the latest filing and the ongoing dispute over the subpoena were detailed in a Torrent Freak article published on Saturday. So everybody's talking about this kind of stuff. Um, apparently there's a Reddit user called RCN Fairly Lax. Eight years ago. For example, the filmmakers want to identify Reddit user... Shakira fan because the user once wrote that RCN seems fairly lax. I looked up 
before I switched and had little trouble. The motion to compel describes the subpoena dispute as follows. And um, eight years old and therefore well beyond the three-year statute of limitations we understand applies in this matter. They're going back eight years retroactively trying to punish somebody and you know rub a cat's nose in their pee as if that actually is effective anyway. All that does is piss people off. Um, it, <laughs> it, it needs to be resolved in a different manner. Um, definitely not one that goes back eight years or even three years. Um, if you want to defend the product, then you're going to have to be a little bit more interactive. Waiting for bots to pursue it, just, I don't know. And I don't even know what the full nature of this discovery was. You know, somebody decided to go scrolling through links deep into Reddit because eight years of history in somebody's in Reddit is reaching back to the dawning of Reddit. I mean, it's pretty darn close to the beginnings of Reddit. Yeah, I don't know. Reddit has not identified any potential harm to these users by disclosing the information. The motion said plaintiffs are not seeking to retaliate economically or officially against these subscribers. Rather, plaintiffs just want to discuss the comments the subscribers made and use their comments as evidence that RCN monitors and controls the conduct of its subscribers. What? That makes no sense. They're going after these people so that they can tell RCN, hey, you need to police your users yeah this should be this should be just thrown out because it's not up to rcn rcn has safe harbor users saying and doing things are are exempted because of safe harbor and safe harbor is section let's go back let's just remind everybody The SCOTUS decision in the case would impact the fate of Section 230, a provision of law that shields Internet platforms from legal culpability related to content that individuals share on them. And it isn't even on RCN. It's on Reddit, which isn't on RCN. Yeah, this seems like there's a standing issue or something. I think it's just not... It's too many layers removed. Yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to, so uh, this is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Um, Showed the ISP ignored internet privacy. So, or movie private uh, piracy. I'm so sorry. I'm mumbling my words now. Um, The ISP isn't going to stop a user from using some third party site. It's all, this is just twisted. Uh, it's so wrongheaded. So uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile channel. Uh, would, na- would a nature repair market really work? Evidence suggests it's highly unlikely. I need to ask if the AI is okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um... Got it. So would a nature repair market really work? Evidence suggests it's highly unlikely. Why should governments do all of the heavy lifting to arrest the steep decline of many ecosystems? Endangered species live on private land too, so why not give farmers and landholders incentives to work 
or to look after them and restore habitat. Thus, the creation of how do they call it? A nature repair market. So framed like this, it's easy to see the appeal of nature repair markets. Harness private money and direct it towards rescuing nature. No wonder the Albanese government is forging ahead with its nature repair market bill and seeking public submissions. And if it becomes law, landholders will be able to gain tradable biodiversity certificates for projects that protect, manage, and restore nature. What do you think? I'm not quite sure I get this concept. Like, what are they, other than, of course, um, uh, preserving the environment, like, what is there some sort of tax benefit to this? I, I don't really... Well, get you'll get concept. money, you'll get support from the government, you'll get um, uh, resources so that you can facilitate protecting uh, nature. And they mentioned one thing right here. It sounds beautiful in theory, carbon uh, credits, but for nature. The idea has a poor track record in practice. Other offset markets have been easily gamed, ensuring integrity is costly policies with teeth like banning land clearing, stronger environmental laws are much more likely to work. Hence the reason why we have very costly time consuming and expert driven environmental impact surveys. If we want to do something so much as uh, lay a foundation or put a road down or <clears throat> uh, expand your driveway by a few feet. So where did it come from? It's not a wholly new idea. Labor's plan is based on a repackaged and expanded Morrison government biodiversity stewardship program originally targeted at farmers. So, you know, you throw enough money at it and people will be interested in it, but you're always going to have some bad apples spoiling the whole bunch. Um, and that's why we can't have nice things. That's why we can't have a healthy uh, relationship between humans and the wilds of nature because there are humans out there that just don't give a rat's ass about nature and will tear it to the ground so that they can make money. Um, so why the skepticism? It says in the article, in short, it's harder than it looks to unlock private capital and direct it to pro-nature interventions, which are largely going to be loss. You're not going to make money by protecting the environment. You're going to protect the environment and it's going to cost money. Some people will take exception that Private industry will get taxpayer dollars to protect nature uh, because, uh, well, they're sociopathic and they want to see the world burn. Um, at least that's my take on it. And maybe it's a bad take ultimately, but um, they talk about the three different reasons for the, their skepticism, money, demand, and effectiveness. But I'll let you, uh, dear reader and uh, viewer, uh, go over to fizz.org where this article is found, uh, and it's written by Young N. Chi from The Conversation, which um, is both a website and a podcast and works pretty hand-in-hand -hand with fizz.org. But I'm not going to keep on going about this article uh, unless you have something else that you want to add to it. Well, I think getting the investment in this type of idea, and I don't mean monetary, um, is a good thing because there is so much privately owned land that 
perhaps, even though things like nature conservancies are really beneficial, they can only um, cover so much. So I like the concept. I guess it's all going to be down to the execution as to whether it will actually work. And I think as consumers or residents, we can demand the businesses that we um, frequent participate in markets like this. Well, it's an interesting take. You know, speak with your wallet because that's all that businesses are really in, in into, you know. I mean, if uh, a perfect example is if, uh, if a healthcare provider was interested in your healthcare, then they would never tell you no for a medication that you need. Um, but that's exactly what happens. In fact, I mean, you... You can go in for something and the your healthcare provider tells you you need this medication and then your insurance company says no and then tells the healthcare provider no. And ultimately the healthcare provider capitulates because they're not going to rock the boat to the point where they become a pariah to the insurance companies. Unfortunately, that is the nature of things. So... What are you really going to do with this? You're going to make people uh, embrace this uh, nature repair market with your dollars, right? And then what's going to happen? Well, maybe they'll play the game for a while and uh, you'll get tired of policing them and then they'll stop and or you'll leave as a customer and they'll stop. Um, but you had better be really supporting that business for them to take on uh, what amounts to um, a heavy lift, as it says, even in this article. Um, I don't think that small businesses are the burden. I don't think that um, private ownership of land is significant enough because I think in every single country that exists, the primary owner of land is government. Um, and I think that it could create thousands upon thousands of jobs if the money was spent to conserve nature um, versus where it's spent now. Um, but that's why budget review is so contentious, depending on who's in, well, regardless of who's in office, but sometimes the priority shifts so I think it's a great idea. Execution. It's all about execution. Plus, we really don't even know how to resolve the nature imbalance. Ultimately, because there's going to be so much garbage spewed out into the environment by small bad actors, but they're big, right? I mean, they're like oil and gas companies, chemical companies, etc. Ohio just took one on the chin because 11 out of 12 train cars toppled over and leaked all of their ick out into the waterway and onto the soil. Um, and that was just one, right? But it wasn't some dude in his backyard flying a drone that caused it. It was bad train tracks, bad braking system, bad policy, bad procedure, bad safety, et cetera, et cetera, of a corporation. So how do we resolve that? 
It isn't the millions of people that are just going about their day. It's the massive companies that have no regard other than profit. Uh, so sorry about that. Let's get into the next article. The next one is uh, Japanese officials investigate myster- mysterious fear that washed up on the beach. Man, I just wanted to joke about this, but I just can't. So a local woman reported uh, the sphere to the police on Tuesday, calling in saying, hey, um, somebody lost their ball. Okay, that was funnier in my head. Uh, the ball washed up on Enshu Beach in Hamamatsu City. The outlet reported. Uh, and it is described as being an iron ball with a diameter of about 1.5 meters. Officials quickly restricted the area in an encompassing 200 meter radius while they investigated. Um, I saw this picture earlier. Uh, this is over at vice.com. Jordan Pearson is the author. And uh, this picture reminds me of something that um, had washed up on beaches in other places. And it turns out that it holds uh, a gas used in fuel, uh, rocket, in rocketry. So basically it's just bolted onto the side of the spacecraft and it injects the gas into the fuel. um, And eventually it, Uh, either is disconnected and drops from the spacecraft or uh, on upon re-entry, it just gets torn up. Um, And this certainly looks like that's what's going on here that it re-entered and is just kind of uh, turned all to hell. Um, But I don't know what they're going to come of this because it says, according to the outlet, an X-ray scan revealed that it was hollow. Officials determined that there's no risk of an explosion and lifted restrictions at 4 p.m. and have not determined what it is. Uh, But I have seen this in the past. um, And uh, I I think that's exactly what it is. It's basically a gas sphere for spacecraft. Uh, I wish that I could do a better job of finding it while we're streaming, but I am not prepared for this. Mm, Let's see. Yeah. Let's not, I won't, I won't linger on this article. So I think that it's nothing more than that, but maybe I can talk about it uh, later. So this next article is over on the reality hacker channel. Uh, PSVR two launch day games now include 40 plus titles and an updated list is provided by dun 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 road to VR. You should go over there road to VR.com. I'm really into virtual reality. Uh, I would love more wireless headsets from uh, competitors to the likes of uh, Meta um, and others, PSVR. um, While it's no slouch in VR technology, I don't like that um, you have to be in the PlayStation ecosystem. I'd rather have something that is everywhere. Uh, but it's up to the developers to provide these games to everybody. So I totally understand that, but I want more competition. I want more wireless headsets. Uh, I, I want it to evolve faster than it is now and, but it's accelerating. So here's to that. Uh, the, uh, this list is quite massive and it's apparently getting longer and longer. 
But PlayStation today revealed an updated list of launch day and launch window titles for the PSVR 2. Notable highlights include Demio, which is great on PS, uh, sorry, PC VR. Um, I have Demio. It's a lot of fun. Basically, it's a virtualized um, role playing, a tabletop role playing game uh, where you actually get pulled into the world. It's a lot of fun. Gran Turismo 7. Horizon Call for the Mountain, I want that one um, for PC VR, uh, but it's only for PlayStation, where you'll be climbing up a mountain in the Horizon um, ecosystem, uh, for lack of a better term. And then Resident Evil Village is another installment of the Resident Evil um, space. It says here that there's no word on when VR's favorite block slashing game is making the move to Sony's next gen VR. All right. Um, but there is a huge list here, 40 games. And then it says there's also a handful of launch window games announced that are said to arrive all the way through March. Uh, Gorn is one that I want to see. That'll be fun. Um, I want more Warhammer 40,000 type games. Uh, Zenith is out now. I even have that. You can play that. Maybe it's new to PSVR, but it's out for PC. Um, and a bunch of these are actually. So regardless, I think that any additional expansion of VR now make it cross-platform compatible. Make them not be $70. <laughs> um, make them high resolution. And for crying out loud, make me a good base building, world building game, open world game like um, like, uh, you know, I don't even know at this point. <laughs> I just want an, a, an open world game where I can build stuff um, in three dimensions and uh, have a storyline. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's some stuff out there, but. I want more higher resolution. Okay, let's move on to the next article. This is about Wreck-It, um, which really wrecked it. They make baby food, uh, baby formula in particular. So it's a different level of sophistication in the production of the food. Um, but a nutrition manufacturer named Wreck-It is voluntarily recalling baby formula after the product was uh possibly contaminated with Chronobacter Zakazakai, I guess it's called, uh, which is uh, the same bacteria that caused the infections in babies a couple of years ago now, right? Um, it has been a couple of years now uh, by Abbott Laboratories. And Abbott is under investigation. We spoke about them yesterday. So whatever went down with uh, Abbott is now over at Reckitt and uh just kind of sucks uh, because uh, little babies are going to be harmed by this. Uh, the company says it's recalling two batches of ProSoB 12.9 ounce simply plant-based infant formula out of an abundance of caution and that all product distributed went through extensive testing and tested negative for the bacteria. Uh, but apparently not so much because they wouldn't do a voluntary recall if all of their batches were free of the bacteria um this article is over at the hill.com jeremy tanner is the um that's why i know this so they say it's a company called wreck it but it's called enfamil 
That's one of the major um, infant formula. They're one of two that are really well known. Yeah, nobody goes to the store and say, do you have racket? They say, do you have Enfamil? For crying out loud, why isn't that in the title? Okay, so that's a really big deal because if this is anything like the Abbott closure, we know how much disruption that caused in the supply right. chain. Well, Abbott's, uh, for their manufacturing plans are back online, right? As far they as I are, know. but remember what the impact was. I mean, if Infamil needs to do a similar step, it could be pretty significant. Yeah, but I don't know if Infamil has that much of a market, uh, whereas Abbott had four manufacturing plants that controlled something like 65% of the market. So if this company has uh, a little bit of the other ones, you, well, you know what? Abbott's profit is going to go through the roof because they're going to be able to raise their uh, prices. So, yeah, folks, um, you you heard Reckitt, but it's actually Enfamil. Um, and the product recalled ha have batch numbers of ZL2HZF and ZL2HZZ, both with a UPC code of 3008712144415 and a use by date of uh, the 1st of March, 2024. And again, they say Reckitt says that there haven't been any illnesses reported as of Sunday, but again, it's infamil. It's absurd that it's not even using it, the real brand name. You, it doesn't say Reckitt anywhere except the fine print on this container. It's Infamil, and, Pro So B. And I don't see a reference to Infamil anywhere in the article as far as I can tell. Right. Yeah. They, it, it should be right in front of this where it says two batches of Infamil, Pro So B. I mean, it's, this is really ridiculous. They mention Abbott more than they mention anything else. <laughs> so um, let me scroll down a little bit more. Yeah, I don't see it. Fascinating. Fascinating. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I challenge anybody out there with a baby to say, Hey, what brand formula does Reckitt manufacture? And unless they are focused on the business aspects of this manufacturer of formula, they're calling it Enfamil <laughs> day in, day out. That's crazy. Um, okay. So folks, this is the last article for tonight. I think we're coming up on that uh, hour plus mark. So including my boisterous banter at the beginning and floundering, uh, this last article is fish keep falling from uh, sky onto the same town and experts aren't sure why a rural town in Australia's outback saw, outback saw a deluge of freshwater fish raining from the skies this week with many still alive in puddles on the streets. So <laughs> it says uh, there's a video that shows a giant water spout destroy a home on Smith Island. Uh, the article is over in Newsweek and it's written by Jess Thompson. Again, as usual, we don't read the full article even before the show and we may read it after the show. Um, but during the show, all we do is kind of skim over it and give you our perspective about the things much like that baby formula stuff. We have some experience uh, with various aspects of these things. Me, uh, I have actually seen stuff like this happen before where it's something 
um, environmentally weird, like a, a, a downspout of water surrounded by sun makes zero sense. I was once crossing a bridge and got rained on, but only in that one spot of 30 feet sunlight everywhere else. Nobody could explain how that kind of stuff happens, but this is the same thing. And I've seen this historically as well, this mystery of where fish or frogs or snails or uh, worms, all kinds of stuff just miraculously starts flying from the sky onto uh, cars and whatnot. Um, but they're giving actually something that might have precedent, which is a water spout might be able to pick up these fish and fling it into uh, uh, somewhere else because it reaches up into the atmosphere. But is that really what's happening? I don't know about that. They're not saying that this is what's happening, but it's the argument is that it's possible that a water spout could grab fish, frogs, whatever. So it says the strange fish, uh, fishy rain fell over the town of Lajamanu, I guess it is, a small community in the arid northern territory around 560 miles south of Darwin. Strangely, the same town has seen the deluges of fish four times in the past 30 years, most recently in 2010, according to the Daily Mail. Um, so this is from the Daily Mail, but picked up by Newsweek, and, and now we're talking about it. And there it is. These are the little fish. It's usually these little fish, too. Um, not not really big, heavy fish. It's always these little ones, like sardines. Um, so the fish themselves, determined by Queensland Museum ichthyologist, I love that name, uh, ichthyologist, that title, um, Jeff Johnson, to be spangled perch, were around the size of a child's palm, which I don't know if that is a metric measurement or not, but um, I've seen some pretty... Uh, diminutive child hands and some pretty chonky child hands. So which is that the child holding it? Because those are some pretty big hands. Anyway, having fallen, fallen overnight, the community awoke to find them scattered around the town. Many of them still alive. Not sure of the relevance of that. So spangled perch, also known as spangled grunters. That was my name in school. Um, are one of the most common and widespread species of freshwater fish in Australia, and they can grow to lengths of 10 inches, though typically they're around 6 inches. Um, pretty neat, uh, but it's been written about before, and there's a little picture of uh, Reign of Frogs recorded in 1355. Um, me, I've actually read about this and seen uh, video recountings of these kind of things. Um, all the way back to when I was a kid, there was a show called um, That's Incredible that actually highlighted this from time to time. Um, it It's a thing, but nobody really knows how it is happening. They just suddenly appear. Uh, pretty typically, they just appear. You could be inside and you hear the things thudding on the ceiling or on the roof and stuff. And then you come out and it's all stopped. But there you go you know, frogs or fish or whatever is sitting all over the place. What do you think? Think that could be it? I think this is yet another reason to keep your eyes on the skies. There's been a lot of odd things happening above. <laughs> 
Um, I would be a little shocked to see fish falling from the sky if I was outside. I have to admit. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I I would be a little bit worried about what the hell's going on. That's for sure. So the very end of this article. I think next time it rains, you'll just need to be out there with a net catching the fish as they fall and properly document it. According to uh, one of the people (laughs) who were interviewed, I think they go by hammer. So what is their actual name? Michael hammer from uh, the museum and art gallery of the Northern territory. Curator of fishes. Let's not forget that. Oh, (laughs) the, Curator of Fishes at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory, Michael Hammer. I think that's a Marvel uh, villain. I don't think his name was Michael Hammer. His last name was Hammer, though. He was in Iron Man, I think, too. I think. Maybe it was. Yeah, I think it might have been Iron Man, too. But I think that I'm belaboring this and I should let everybody go um, while I walk to the front of Omtown and meet you at the now entering Omtown sign. I think the AI is trying to find out just exactly where Hammer and uh, Marvel Iron Man is at that crossroads. So it looks like there's a Justin Hammer who is a rival to Tony Stark. There you go. Yeah, in one of the Iron Man movies. I think it's number two. Anyway, um, we are now at the front gates. or We're not even, it's not a controlled thing. We don't have a wall or anything. You can just go in and out of hometown uh, pretty easily. You don't have to be a citizen to review the material in there, but to make comments, you do. So definitely go over to hometown.com and sign in, sign up. Uh, you can leave little giffy comments if you don't want to type out in it. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words or so the AI is telling me. Maybe it's worth 1,500 words now because of inflation. But definitely go and check out hometown.com. Uh, we do still have things on the horizon here. The gamification stuff is still being tested and uh, two-factor authentication is being tested. I have to really work that one out properly because a bad deployment of two-factor authentication, um, well, is bad. You, I mean, I need to make sure that the uh, environs of hometown are safe. So we will make it so and then release it to the wild. That said, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com. And the AI would like to say... Good night, hometown citizens, and we will see you tomorrow. Unless a whole bunch of fish or a meteor or an iron sphere. What else? I don't know. Or a weather balloon. What? Or a weather balloon. Or um, I am a weather balloon. I am... I am a weather balloon. See you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye.